You're listening to a Monday Breakfast podcast on 3CR 855 AM. Thanks for tuning in. 3CR would like to acknowledge that we broadcast on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respect to elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge the continued resilience of First Nations peoples in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement. CR Breakfast. Oh, yeah. Alternative news, analysis, and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7 a.m. to late 30 a.m. Good morning. Hey, we're getting that together really well. It's, uh, yeah, we are. It's a uh, Radiothon special good morning to our listeners yeah. today, June the 10th. Queen's birthday holiday. The Queen's birthday. <laughs> oh my God. Which is actually wow. in May, but we love it here in, yeah. in, in, in Melbourne. I- is it April? I had a look as to when it actually is, but it's definitely not today. To those those of, of most people who are in the Republican movement don't really care, as long as they Nobody get their day cares. off, everyone's gone camping for the weekend. Mm. But our regular listeners know that today is the Monday Breakfast Radiothon Day. Yeah, well, the public holiday, so if you're up at 7 o'clock, we're so happy to have you yeah. with us. Yes, thank yes. you yes. so much. That body clock. That's the big one, isn't it? If yeah. you're up yeah. and you're, you're listening, up. thank you. Oh, yeah. Most of our listeners, you know, they're, they're, they're on 3CR time, regardless <laughs> of whether there's a public holiday. Cold day or not? Um, yeah. oh, it's, it's been a fantastic morning, I thought. Like it's nice and not too cold out there today. Oh, I was surprised because yeah. there's been frost on my windshield when I've come out the last few days, and then this morning it was yeah mild and I yeah. rugged up. I didn't need to. All I needed was an umbrella. And even that was kind of gentle rain, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, I definitely <laughs> didn't fancy siphoning it this morning. No. But I wasn't totally unhappy about the temperature. So that's, well, top yeah, of 18, which something. is good. After oh the, the is it meant to clear up after this morning? Yes, it is. It is. But uh, a bit more rain on Wednesday and, and then Tuesday, tomorrow, another top of 18. So I that's know. the weather for uh, Melbourne this next two days, which is great. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, um, sounds good. We've got a jam-packed uh, radiothon show today. We have, yeah. and lots of weird and wonderful music too. So you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to celebrate radiothon and uh, yeah, if you you're moved to call in with donations, we'd be really delighted to hear from you this morning. Nine four one nine eight three seven seven, and you can SMS your pledge too on zero four eight 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 zero nine eight five five, and we will send you. Back the payment details, but more importantly, we will give you a shout out. 0488 809 855. Oh, thanks, Dean. That's great. Well, yeah, we do have lots coming up. And yep. uh, after 8, or at 8, actually, we've got um, Dennis Muller coming on. He's written a you know, very strong article for The Conversation, came out on Friday, about the raids on the ABC. So he'll be telling us but the implications as a person who understands media ethics and who's worked in the business a long time, he'll have um, lots of great information on that. So we'll be speaking to him at 8. And um, then we're going to have someone come in in the studio. Bridget Arthur is coming in. And she's a Bridgeting nun, and they've been running a refugee project for some time. And I'm sure you've all been hearing uh, some of the impact of the election on 
refugees of here. Of course, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so she'll tell us how the people she's working with are, are experiencing that. That's amazing. More, more, and more interestingly, it seems like it's a news filler, the impact of the election on refugees. You know, they, it seems like they just have it on when there's nothing else to talk really? about in the yeah. mainstream media. Yeah, yeah that, and that's so sad. Yeah, mm. it's, so it, sad. It, it's huge. It's mm. huge. And um, then just after, and I, I don't you know, just think, I guess this is kind of linked to what's come on the news just overnight, which is the demonstrations in Hong Kong against the extradition agreement that's going to extradite political prisoners back to China. At the lowest, about 130,000, and at the top, we get about a million demonstrators. That's, uh, that's pretty much a whole city of Geelong right there, just well, going out, you know. Like yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. amazing. It's about the extradition proposal, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. right. And, uh, and again, people carrying yellow umbrellas, remembering the umbrella movement, and, uh, and then some clashes with police as well, mm-hmm. really taking over the streets in Hong Kong. So that's happening. So yeah. our first story, really, is Dr. John Garrick, who's a senior lecturer in business law at Charles Darwin. We spoke to him, Dean, I don't know if you remember, we spoke to him on Wednesday breakfast last year Mm. about um, the selling or leasing of the Darwin port to Mm. China for 99 years. Well, he's put out another another story looking at Chinese influence in Australia. So, yeah, we'll hear a bit about that, about 7.15. And I appreciate you mentioning that. I think today we'll touch on why 3CR is important to all of us, you know, during this Radiothon program and touch on some of the subjects and the yeah. guests we've had and what we've covered over the year. I've been here now since 2007. You've been here I understand. Yeah, yeah. 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 Great yeah. Radiothon. It's actually. my first Radiothon today, oh so oh, I'm really excited. Yeah. Radical um, radio. Yeah, Keep radical feeding radio. it. $50 pays for one month's supply of coffee. So oh. Oh, my God. Just putting things into perspective for people. (laughs) 7am here, we need coffee. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, you can donate from as little as as $2, and uh, you can get your claim tax, tax deductible. Uh, Over $2, I think, is tax deductible. Yeah, Yeah. which is great. And we're going to hear again from the community and the voices that are really important and really the reason why we're here and why we listen to community radio and why we want to get involved and why we're here every week throughout the last, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so have we got a message from the UK, I'm wondering now? Well, on such a day as today, the Queen's parent birthday, (laughs) yeah, yeah, from the UK, we're just going to send a little song to her all the way from Melbourne. And it's God Save the Queen Fascist Regime. Oh, my God. <laughs> the Sex Pistols. Oh, yeah, go. So just to kick off everybody's well, Monday. Wake us up. Wake us yeah. up. Yeah, wake us up with this one. And that was God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols. Yeah, with John Lydon. John Lydon. Or Johnny name, Rotten. Johnny Rotten, who um, is an absolute legend and completely outraged the British establishment by refusing an honour from the Queen. He kept, he kept true to his radical principles. And it's amazing how some of these protest songs 
are still relevant and still resonate today. No future. How much have we heard that around, you know, climate change, around yeah. so many things. So, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. thanks for that message from, from the UK. It's, um, no from worries. England, uh, yeah, that came all the way, yeah, all the way from England. And just wanted to give Lizzie a nice song on her birthday. <laughs> yeah, and now that we didn't get our Queen's one. birthday on us. <laughs> Do you know what is interesting though? We don't get we don't have a day off or a bank holiday in the UK for mm. the Queen's birthday mm. or anything. Okay. Oh. But there's a lot of the oh. countries in within the Commonwealth that still like say for example South Africa is a republic, mm. you know, but they still sort of have they hold on to a little bit of the past by having these types of days like the Queen's birthday. The colonial past. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it's uh, good for the people, but... Uh, is it good for the people? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is it? <laughs> I think the people that are in bed at the moment who are about to call 94198377 to donate uh, will be uh, very appreciative to the and Queen. You can, you know, if you're lying in bed, just, you know, just grab your phone, you know, it's not that far away. Yeah, yeah. grab your phone, text your pledge um, on 048 048- Eight 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 zero nine eight five five. You can text in that, or you can call nine four one nine eight three seven seven. That's nine four one nine eight three seven seven. Give and us a ring. We want to hear from you. And um, in 2016, 3CR published the history of a station titled Radical Radio, which was celebrating 40 years of 3CR. Now it's 2019, it's actually 43. It's, it's interesting yeah. how we, you know, the years in between, they we always sort of rush. forget. We always go 40 and then 50 and then 60. But yeah. 43 years going strong, you know, it allows us, all your donations will allow us to podcast your favourite shows so you can listen back anytime. We've had a pledge from Anthony Flynn out there in uh, Essendon, uh, $20. Thank, Thank you, you so Anthony. much. Yes. Yeah. We've also got uh, Miss Liz Dean, who's from Northcote, who's donated $50. Thank you, Liz. That's fantastic. Great. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so we'll go to... An interview, I think. Yeah. Then, well, yeah. that was... Um, I think you mentioned... I did read a little bit about that uh, new bill. Uh, in that in would Hong allow, Kong. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, but you mentioned um, John, John Garrick, who we had, obviously, was sort of talking about it as well. With well, you. well, yeah, he spoke, well, he spoke when he was on last time. That was in December, actually. It was on Wednesday breakfast. And uh, at that point, he was just talking about the lease of the Port of Darwin to a Chinese company and uh, some of the people involved in, in that, and in particular, um, Andrew Robb. So I spoke to him just last week because he's got another article out which um, is looking more at Chinese influence in Australia. Also, tensions between, you know, the U.S. and China that are being played out in Darwin around the leasing of that port, and some other things as well, long-term implications of Darwin's Smart City Initiative. So I started um, by just asking John, you know, what about Andrew Robb's role in the decision to lease the port of Darwin to the Chinese company Landbridge? Andrew Robb, a former federal government minister, almost immediately upon resigning from his position in Parliament, took up a consultancy with Landbridge, which was the successful tenderer on a multi-million dollar project to lease the port of Darwin for 99 years. I think it was only three months after Andrew Robb left his position as a minister. Yeah, that sounds right. 
In a case like this, it's almost inconceivable that he would have gone straight from Parliament to an $880,000 a year consultancy to help the company steer its way through the system, unless they were very well acquainted. I mean, you you don't have to be Einstein here. So Andrew Robb has now left this lucrative position. He said that the Landbridge Group uh, didn't have anything for him to do. But he later came out swinging, saying that criticisms of him were quite misguided because he wasn't acting specifically in China's interest, that this was something that was beneficial to Australia as well. So that argument's been put. However, when you're living here in Darwin and you see the US Marines on one side of town, and you see the Darwin port leased to a Chinese company for the next 99 years on the other side of town, you have to scratch your head a little bit and say, what's really going on here? Andrew Robb is not the only former politician to leave their job with a Chinese company early this year. Former Premier Victoria John Brumby left his position as one of the directors of Huawei Australia, although I believe he announced his intentions a year ago. And ex-New South Wales Premier Bob Carr quit his job as director of the Australia-China Relations Institute, funded by a Chinese billionaire who was known to use donations as a way of getting to know politicians. All these resignations occurred just before a new act came into place, the Foreign Influence Transparency Scheme Act. It came into effect on March the 1st this year. What does the act do? John Garrick again. If, for example, you're taking a brief or acting on behalf of a foreign government or government agency or government-related entity, then you have to declare that. What led to this act being brought in? It came back to intelligence agency concerns at the extent of penetration of the Australian political system by foreign interests. At the heart of the matter was when Sam Dastiari, who was a senator, was accepting money from a Chinese principal and at the same time representing a position on China's position in the South China Sea as being legitimate in contravention of his own party's position. He'd been cozied up to by a an agent, in this case, of Chinese influence. And then he starts to mouth the Chinese line on something that was not the line being taken by his own party and most certainly not a line that was taken by the government. So he's subsequently appeared to be quite remorseful. Governments are always seeking influence. China's not the only power that seeks influence in Australia. And and also foreign companies. You also point out China is qualitatively different. Why is that? At the moment under Xi Jinping, there's been a hard, deep purging of the party to eliminate, let's say, corrupt elements and elements that were not towing the line with the Xi Jinping direction. When Australia is dealing with an entity of that 
size and magnitude. We need to be aware of that and what we're dealing with. On press freedom, China ranks 176 out of 180 countries. Yeah, That's it, remarkable. It, it, it ranks slightly above North Korea. Just a, as an illustration, the anniversary of the Tiananmen Square incident on the 4th of June, they've got robots that go through everything to pick up any searches of Tiananmen Square incident massacre and making sure they're eliminated. You describe a specific local example of the tension between China and the US. Darwin participating in a smart cities project. What is actually embedded is the beginning of a surveillance system which draws upon key elements of the Chinese social credit system. And, and what so, is the social credit system? Well, it's a surveillance system that uses a whole combination of technology, including facial recognition, can actually monitor individuals right down to specific real-time movement that links their facial recognition back to their driver's license, even their mobile phone, and all these things give you total control over the masses. Is this one of the things that I've heard about where you might not be able to get a passport, for example, if these kinds of records are examined and it's determined you aren't a good model citizen? Correct. A absolutely right. We've got similar things as well, just not ramped up to this degree. The one that's being developed in the Chinese system can take into account everything. And on the smart cities technology that's being introduced, the Northern Territory, that is the next rung up, has also earmarked money for the next budget period for expanding this CCTV coverage in Darwin and also there's support at the federal level. The concern is when you commence it at the local level, there's major questions about whether the depth of thinking required about who gets the data, who has access to the data, how's the data managed, how's it stored. It all needs to be very carefully thought through and it's got to be thought through with longer term implications in mind. And that was Dr. John Garrick, who is a senior lecturer in business law at Charles Darwin University. And uh, it is rather worrying, this whole uh, smart city phenomenon. Mm. Uh, I mean, one of the things that really scares me, among others, is that uh, you know, the high proportion of Indigenous peoples, Aboriginal peoples who live in Darwin, I think between 30 and 40 percent, um, so the kind of surveillance they'll be under seems like from what uh, John Garrick is saying that the Americans are concerned about surveillance. Of course, they've got a base there. So, mm. you know, so that's a concern. And then the lease, um, you know, of the port. So and that's been covered by the ABC uh, quite a lot in March. Actually, they've been looking at that lease. And what I find interesting is a lot of people, particularly in the defense area, are saying, oh, what a stupid idea. Why did the city of Darwin do this, you know? But the thing is, they asked for funding from the federal government for years yeah. to, to fund the port. So I really think responsibility has to be sheeted home to the federal government. And uh, it's weird that, you know, that's not really being stated. I mean, yes, of course, matters of national significance shouldn't be dealt with at a local level. There, mm. there needs to be more thought through. But the other thing, given the, the raids on, um, on the ABC, on journalists last week, 
again, this whole thing of monitoring and watching and surveillance, the, the fact that the federal government is interested in this and wants to support it, it just makes you feel a little bit more nervous. And, and, I, and I think, um, you know, that piece is really about um, the blurry line between corporate and state interests as well. You know, yes, indeed. Um, especially when you involve another country who have bought a lease for 99 years. And, and talking about that surveillance part and the journalists, since um, 2001, there's been more than 60 anti-terror laws that have happened since September 2001. Yeah. You know? And yeah. how, so where are, how, how do you define those anti-terror laws without actually pushing them to the limits, like mm-hmm. raiding a journalist's house to yes. make sure that, you know, you find whatever you need to find regardless yeah. and, of whether it's right And why not your offices? Yeah, yeah. Well, which yeah. are in Parliament, I think. Anyway, you know, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's so much going on that we need to be keeping an eye on, that's for sure. Hmm. And so, so yesterday, well, I think you mentioned that John also touched on um, what we've been speaking about, which is the umbrella movement, and as I mentioned, um, and you were saying, you know, according to organisers, there was as little as 140,000 people, but as much as a million people who took part in, in, the, in the protests in Hong Kong, yeah. yeah, um, yeah the overnight uh, almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah and mm. it was all to do with the, um, uh, you know, the varied interests which are aligned against the extradition bill. Yes. Which, um, yeah. You know, and uh, well, extradite a protest could be protesters, mm. could be anyone. You know, to China for where the laws are not as uh, careful as they are in Hong Kong, like, or you don't have the same rights like mm. in China mm. as you do in Hong Kong. Well, they're saying it would empower officials to decide on a case by case basis whether oh. to extradite wanted criminals, yeah. suspects to stand trial in China itself. But I think the main problem is um, Hong Kong was once a British colony and. The United Kingdom obviously handed off control to the People's Republic of China, but Hong Kong is supposed to be able to govern itself under a policy known as one country, two systems. That's right. Um, yes. Meaning that while Hong Kong is under Chinese sovereignty, it is supposed to be able to train its own political and legal system. Exactly. So when you're extraditing people mm. somewhere else, it becomes a bit blurry Absolutely. as well. But I think the thing that's really got people, I think it's likely that the thing that's really got people out into the streets is that the suppression in China in particular of the Tiananmen massacre, um, you know, recognition. Mm. There was a vigil in Hong Kong, but in China, as uh, John Garrick pointed out, um, you know, the, the, the surveillance system has been just going through the Internet and using robots uh, to see if anyone's even mentioning that. Mm. Oh, 30 years on, essentially. Yeah. yeah, 30 years on, it's still tightly covered. And did anyone see the Four Corners report on this? No, no, I didn't. Oh, well, they, yeah. it, was, it was excellent, and I highly recommend it. Anyway, they spoke to people who'd been demonstrators at the time who are still alive, um, and also, I think, one mother of a child and a father of someone who was killed in that demonstration. And one of the things that they said was that... Um, in order to get their children's bodies, and the people who knocked on the door, the officials knocked on the door, took the, their kids away, came back later that day saying, uh, oh, you, you know, your son or daughter died, um, you know, so that fell down the steps or, you know, that, mm. you know, some sort of thing. If you want their body back, you've got to sign this declaration saying it was an accidental death. Yes, yeah, that's crazy, <laughs> isn't it? And, and very moving also hearing the students 
talk about how inspired they were back then. You know, they, they were really hopeful that there would be democratic change. And so many other streets. I, I just watched last night, so you can probably hear it still yeah. strongly. And I think it's, um, for a country like that, it's great to still see people protesting. You know, they're talking... It hasn't deterred them, yeah. No, they're talking about this bill um, continuing its path to become law this Wednesday. So mm. we'll wait and see on Monday mm. if it does. And um, apparently, you know, one government spokesperson said, well, the, the protesters have been satisfied by the amendments made to the bill. Well, if no. they were out last no. night and there was nearly half satisfied. a million people doing it, I don't think they are yeah. satisfied. Yeah. But it's great that people mm. in Hong Kong yeah. still feeling the need to voice their opinion through yeah. protest. You know? Yeah, for sure. Um, text mm. or SMS... Zero four eight 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 oh nine eight five five on this Radiothon breakfast morning. Our target for our show is one thousand and we've raised a fair bit this morning. We've uh, raised seventy dollars this morning already. We've got nine hundred and thirty dollars to go. So we want to make all of it by the time we leave this studio <laughs> at eight thirty. So we need you to call up and yeah. Donate what you can to us. 94198377, and here's a pledge. Yeah, Mr. Ron Guy, $20. Thank you so much, Ron. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Ron. Thank you. And and we know that a lot of our listeners um, don't just listen to The Breakfast Show. They donate and listen to other shows as well. So, you know, I know you've probably uh, donated to other shows, but anything will do. Anything over $2, it's, uh, you know, tax deductible, which is great, which is less than a coffee. And the number again is 94198377. And one more time, 94198377. Yes, and after this next piece of music, she works hard for the money. Yes, and she does. she does, we're going to be appearing from Bridget Arthur. The Queen of Soul. How's that, Bridget? Oh, Donna Summer. <laughs> Donna Summer. And Bridget, and Bridget as well. We'll be coming in. Yeah. <laughs>
with Donna Summer, and uh, you described her as Queen of Soul. The Queen of Soul. Yeah, with Works Hard for the Money. And just a little bit of um, radio, community radio trivia. Uh, that song was used um, as the, to open a show called Red Light Radio back in the 90s at Radio Adelaide. Oh, so that was, uh, yeah. uh, that was a sting. No, it, well, yeah, they opened a show with it, and um, it was a kind of radical show at the time, and yeah. I think it would still be a radical show now, and of course the voice of sex workers uh, and people working in the sex industry. So, But in Donna's, in that song, her inspiration was from a working class woman mm. who works very quietly behind the scenes, does her job, and uh, yeah, doesn't get the recognition that Donna Summer felt she needed. So that great. song, that song's still very, very powerful now. Yeah. Really, yeah, you it's know, a great song, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I love it. Look, joining me in the studio now, and I'm so excited that she got up early to come in <laughs> on the Queen's birthday. Is Bridget Arthur? Bridget, thank you for coming into 3CR this morning. <laughs> no worries, I'm well, good to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And you're Bridgeting Nun. I am. And you've been working with asylum seekers, refugees for quite a few years now. You've mm-hmm. got a project. But mm-hmm. I'm wondering just to start if you could tell us a bit about, you know, your background and how you became interested in working with asylum seekers. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, most of my life I've worked in education. Uh, so I was a, a teacher um, and worked in different schools, uh, in particular in uh, the western suburbs in Melbourne. And I suppose I more or less drifted into working with asylum seekers, uh, although uh, I've always had a passionate interest in um, other people who came from other countries, but in particular uh, people who are vulnerable in uh, lots of ways in our community. Um, And I began as part of a justice group I was in um, visiting uh, the detention centre here in Melbourne to discover that uh, if people came by plane and ended up in a detention centre, that they could actually be got out of the detention centre uh, by paying a bond uh, to the immigration department. Uh, we just stumbled upon that. Uh, and mm. is that still the case? No, no, that just went on for a little while. And then, yeah, like, everything else, like everything else in, associated with um, refugee policy, immigration policy, I guess, uh, it changed. Um, so we... Um, uh, managed to get a young man out of detention and then um, discovered that, okay, it wasn't just getting him out, we had to actually support him. Um, and then that seemed silly to be doing it for one, uh, and so we um, sort of began the project. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting how looking at the life of one person highlights the life of many people. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a cross-section, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, one thing extends to another and mm. across policies as well. Yeah, well, this is a... This is an extraordinary area to be working in, I think, in terms of policies, in terms of regulations and laws, because they change. Um, There's not much coherence that I can see across the whole of, um, you know, how we do things here in Australia. Yeah, so you get just get used to one particular regulation and then the carpet gets pulled out from under you as new ones come in, it sounds yeah. like. Yeah, and then some things um, pertain to certain cohorts of people and other things pertain to other people who seem to have the same rights and so on, or lack of rights, um, but they're quite different. So you have to know when a person came in, how they got here, you know, what their case is up to. Uh, until you can begin even to understand what's happening. Mm. Hmm. No, I I don't know, even more recently in February before the election, uh, there was legislation passed giving doctors more power to decide Mm. whether asylum Mm. seekers should come to Australia for medical reasons or not. And that's a really positive thing, but 
we don't we haven't heard much about it. We don't know how, you know, whether there's a loophole in mm. whether the process mm. will work. Mm. Yeah, so mm. you're right. Mm. Like you're always constantly battling against the system, mm. even though there's laws there to try and make it easier. Mm. And often in the public sphere, I think we don't go back to well, what's the what predates this, you know, mm. so that we get a whole picture of what's happening. Because it seems to me that what we're doing, we can't possibly, as a country, continue uh, forever. So at what point do we actually stop doing uh, what we're doing? Hopefully before too many more people are damaged and hurt. Uh, but you, you don't know. Um, you know, this has sort of gone uh, on now for so long. And the uncertainty is also really difficult for people seeking asylum. I'm sure I don't need to, to tell oh, you that. It's, it's extraordinary the number of, you know, damaged people we have, uh, which is quite unnecessary. You know, some things happen. You have a tsunami. Well... You can't stop it, you know, you have to just kind of help the people who have been affected. But a lot of this stuff, we can help it. We don't need to be uh, cruel to people in order then uh, to be picking up the pieces for them or they're trying to pick up the pieces in their own lives. It's, yeah. yeah, and from what you said, it's particularly very meticulous work because different rules apply to different people, mm. and sometimes mm. those differences are, are rather subtle. But to do the work, you've really got to be on top of all those changes. We do, although I suppose the chief thing is to just try and give people some hope. Um, that, I think that's the biggest thing, yeah. to not let people... Just to keep saying to them, look, something will happen in time. I know that sounds a bit facile at times, but... Um, you have to keep saying um, to people who say, look, everybody else who came on the same boat as me, everyone else who came in the same situation, everybody else has got a visa, they're getting on with their lives or whatever, and I'm not. Um, and, you know, to try and find something uh, to give them some hope and some sense that, you know, life is not over. Sometimes these are quite young people. Yes, yeah. and, and for your own self and the people you work with, can, maintaining hope must be important as well. Yeah, I, I think we see enough uh, that, uh, you know, in the general public or individual people help people, uh, that you can break the cycle and so on. We see enough of that uh, to give us hope, but that's mm. a bit different for individual people who are waiting for something. And, and are they some of the good things? Oh, yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Oh, there are good things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and how, did, how does that make you feel, having sort of, as you said, you started off as an educator, you saw this situation, you've fallen into it in a sense, and it's mm. become a passion of yours. Mm. How, mm. Does it, how does it make you feel when some of those good things come to fruition? Well, actually, the same as it did when I was a teacher. You know, I think um, that break the cycle is a big thing for me. You know, sometimes things going around in circles, either for kids in schools, yeah. Uh, or for asylum seekers. And if with the community, I mean, that's not me, but uh, if with the community I work with, um, and they're a hu- you know, huge number, uh, we manage to do something that does break that cycle, uh, then it's a great feeling, yeah. Mm-hmm. And being on a show such as 3CR, I think, uh, uh, you know, I would never have experienced some of the... the um, fantastic things that communities and organisations such as yourself and there's a lot of them, you know, that, that they do out there. You live a quite sheltered life unless you realise, you see things or you experience things. So mm. hearing your story is great, you know, to mm. hear that there's people on the ground trying to affect that change. Mm. I think the ripple out effect of people doing good things is just amazing. I mean, we have probably between two and three hundred volunteers who are out there just uh, helping 
individual people and families. And, um, yes, yes. And, and I was going to ask you about that. So is that the Brigidine Asylum Seekers Project? Is that what it, it does? It goes out and it supports people and helps people? Yeah, we have four things that we say that we try to do and we try to keep faithful to these. Uh, one's to give uh, practical help to people uh, and we do that by uh, giving, arranging housing, um, by food, uh, English teaching, um, legal help when they can't get it anywhere else, you know, a whole manner of. But uh, one of the things, besides the housing, I suppose that's the biggest thing that we do, but that's often with the help of the community too because they offer a house or offer. Sometimes we, from the project, we pay rent uh, or top-up rent or whatever. Uh, but in other cases, the community just offers some housing and then we that's do the so matching. That's so exciting to it's get absolutely, support. Um, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. But then a whole lot of volunteers actually, we match them up, but they go and go into people's homes and become friends. I mean, they do do a bit of English teaching, but m- far more important than that is that they become friends and so they can help with mm, finding your way around the community, uh, looking at forms, uh, you know, doing all the sorts of things that asylum seekers actually uh, need. And um, do the volunteers that you work with, do they need skills? Do they need to have certain skills that they come with? So are they legal professionals or no. teaching or can anybody volunteer with you? Yeah. Anybody can volunteer. We obviously uh, have an interview um, and uh, we make certain that we do a good matching. But it's amazing how people, just with goodwill, a lot of these people, uh, you know, have professional backgrounds and so on, but we don't actually choose them or they don't choose us, I don't think, on that basis. Sometimes they might choose us on that basis. But um, they're just wonderful people with warm hearts and they want to they want to meet people in the community. They read about, you know, what we're doing to asylum seekers and refugees. They don't particularly agree or like it, so they want to do something. Mm. We're speaking right. to Bridget Arthur from the Bridgetine Asylum Seekers Project. Yeah, and um, also we're very pleased that you could come in this morning. Um, and Bridget, just listening to what you're saying, it often it sounds like it's sometimes it's just the day-to-day stuff of living in a country that you don't really know, you're not sure how things work. I mean, even moving, I moved to Melbourne a few years ago, and there's, there's things you don't understand. So if you're coming from a whole different context, it must be even more, um, you know, things. Yeah, it can, it can be very scary. Um, you know, I was talking yesterday to a woman who was six years on Nauru, five months in the detention centre here in Melbourne, and she's been four weeks in the community. And uh, she said, I've cried uh, virtually all of that four weeks in the community. Um, so, you know, um, there are many people in our community who respond to that kind of thing, but we need to know where the people are. Mm. You know, it's, and it is a bit serendipitous as, as to you know, how people actually get on to someone who can help them. It's not as though there isn't anyone who would, but how do they actually get on to someone? Yeah. yeah. And so if people are... Um, oh, sorry, just before that, I'm wondering, and we've talked about positives, and that, that's really good. I mean, what are some of the most challenging things that you've um, encountered in your work? How, many, how long's the project been going? And nearly 20 years. Oh, my God. So you've yes. seen a lot over that yeah. time. Yeah. So what have been the most, some of the most challenging things for you? Um, yeah, continuing to be really um, challenging for me is the fact that families are separated. Uh, so we have often men, but not always, here, no, not always, um, with their uh, children, their wives, children, 
uh, or their children, in the case of um, several women, um, they're overseas in some place that they fled from and um, they can't be reunited. And that's for years and years and years. Uh, the heartache, you know, I think is, is just extraordinary. Um, another challenge at the moment is that the um, federal authorities are, are taking what's called SRSS, which is a fairly low income support, uh, from thousands of people. Uh, so with the, the, um, the logic is that these people could be working, um, but of course they haven't got a job and often they can't get jobs um, and they're not in a position to even look for one. Uh, so people are destitute. Hmm. Um, so, you know, we have people. And then I suppose the other one that's very challenging is the mental health issues that a lot of this then engenders. So you know, young people who are or not necessarily all young, but often they are, sleeping in cars if they're lucky, sleeping out, um, you know, trying to get them somewhere. And But then the hopeful side of that is that it's amazing what um, stable accommodation actually does for someone. Mm. You can see them bit by bit getting back to being, uh, you know, able to make fairly normal and good decisions. So... Yeah, And it's a bit of a catch-22 with that whole government idea of getting them jobs because the jobs that people can find are usually in rural areas mm. where the, the type of support that you're giving them here might not be as perfect. You know, everybody wants to live close to the city, but if you're sending all of the refugees to places like Dubbo or Shepparton, mm. they might not have access to services like yours. Yes, they've got a job, but mental Health is quite a, a big issue. I there. think it's a bit of a furphy too that there are so many jobs in the country mm. because uh, many of our folk would go to the country, but when you actually go to look for jobs, uh, you know, I've, I've driven to right up into New South Wales with the understanding that there was a place that made uh, steel containers and that there were jobs there. Okay. And the people were really uh, lovely. The people who owned that business were really lovely. But to make... The, the actual, you know, they've got to have workers who can actually do the jobs that yeah. they've got. Yeah. And that matching is, is really uh, difficult. extraordinarily difficult, mm. yeah. I love the sound. I mean, it's very hands-on what you do. And the fact of just, you know, driving up there to find out, <laughs> is this real? I mean, that is so helpful and practical yeah. and uh, makes such a difference. Yeah. It means so much, I'm sure. So yeah. if people listening to the show today are interested, inspired, would like to help out, like to volunteer, what's the best way for them to, to do that or to organize to do that? Mm. Oh, we have a website, and it's got the usual, you know, if you want to get in contact with us, uh, then you can send an email on that on that uh, website. Yeah. And that would be the Bridgetine Asylum Seekers Project. Is that the name of it? Yeah, the we act, yeah. I think on, I think it's called BASP, B-A-S-P, but it stands for Bridgetine Asylum Seekers Project. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And um, I think are you a Victorian person? Are you from Victoria? Bridget? Yeah, I actually came from a farm um, originally, um, close to the South Australian border <coughs> between Canova and. Border town, I guess. Oh, yes, I've driven highway. that road many times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah. And so now here you are in Melbourne and doing yeah. you know, what sounds like terrific work. Oh, well, it's with a lot of other people. Mm. I mean, yeah, yes. I'm just one little cog in the wheel, but yeah. there's a lot of other Well, we really appreciate people. your coming in this morning, um, thank you. Bridget Arthur. <laughs> thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank lovely you. to have you. And we've got a bit of music now. When the rain is blowing in your face 
could offer you a warm embrace to make you feel my love. When evening shatters and the stars appear, and there is no one there to dry your tears, I could hold you for a minute. Maria Muldoor and from an album uh, Songs of Bob Dylan um, Make You Feel My Love and I just felt that kind of fit with the love that um, the Bridgetine sisters are, are offering to asylum seekers, refugees coming in but now we've got more thank yous I think we've got some more I pledges we yes. so Nine for one nine. <laughs> And that's a kind of thank you in advance there, a money, money, money song from Cabaret, just a little bit from that. So a big thank you to Sarah Whalen, who's offered us $10. She's from Flemington, and I know Sarah donates across our different shows. So Thank you, Sarah. That's fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Shake, rattle, and Love roll. That. Love that sound. Thank you, Sarah. And we've got a few more as well. So... Um, 
I actually put a, a little collection tin in the cafe that I work in. And they were very generous. Everybody Aww. that came in just put in a couple of dollars mm. um, every time I sort of told them about the station. And I had the guide there, so people were flicking through that and reading up about community radio and 3CR, which was great. And the cafe in two weeks managed to raise $53. Whoa! Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. That's, That's great. great. So thank you, yeah, everyone. We, we don't normally plug cafes, but what's the cafe? Uh, I think yeah, we have to say. Uh, Salon. It's yeah. Naughty Boy. Uh, thank Naughty you, Boy Naughty Boy. Boy. Street. Yeah, so thank you, everybody who um, to few, uh, threw in a few dollars, and that makes all the difference to us. And we do have um, you can donate online at 3cr.org.au. Bit of a, a, an interesting fact with that. We started um, broadcasting digitally in, I think it was 2013. Mm. I'll have it there. So, you know, we, yeah. <laughs> Some so we, 3CR history. Yeah, a bit of uh, okay. 3CR history. Look, speaking of history, the book you mentioned like, earlier, the um, 40 years of 3CR, some great photos in that book and great history of, you know, life in Melbourne, radical life mm. in radical Melbourne. Mm. And yeah. we've still got people at the station who were there in yep. the 70s oh, yeah. as well, which is amazing. It, so yes. they're still broadcasting. Mm. In um, fact, I worked with uh, the woman who started Women on the Line, but not oh. here. That was in Adelaide. She yeah, ended up being a awesome. manager there. So, yeah, that history and those stories are so terrific. Really. Yeah, really yeah, they keep terrific. us connected. I, yeah. I, I should have known it was 2010, not 2013. <laughs> we, we're not that far behind. We're way ahead <laughs> of the time. Our commitment to community radio has been very, very successful, you know. We've, we've managed to convince the federal government to extend uh, the funding for community radio uh, digital broadcasting. That's right. Of, you know, yes. which we were part yeah. of there, which is great. So we mm-hmm. love your continued sub- uh, support and belief in the importance of an independent community-led radio station. Um, and I guess the real power behind our radical radio is our listeners. So yeah, 9419 $2 or more is all tax deductible. You can donate 50 cents. I've actually got a pledge to to read out, and that is from three crazy, wonderful kids, Preston, Mackenzie, and Crosby, with $20. Oh, oh yay. That's terrific. So yay. That's amazing. And now we're going to take a listen to some voices from from this year. So I, um, a couple of weeks ago, I went to the No Mandate for Refugee Racism, which was at the State Library, and um, yeah, I wanted to get involved with that, cause, and especially after Bridget's story, I think it's really important that we can put um, actual voices to to that cause. So that's another reason to do- to donate to 3CR. We we actually broadcast the community's voice, mm-hmm. um, and it's not heard on Murdoch Media. So it's so important to keep those voices alive and to make sure that we can still go out there and chat to everybody. So what you'll be hearing now are the voices from the rally and the rally was around to actually bring attention to refugees and Tamil refugees that have been torn away from their community in Queensland. So that was Priya, Nadez and their two daughters. And I just think these personal stories are what's really important to community radio and really puts a face to the policies that, that we are actually understanding or what, what's going around at the moment. Hey Dutton, hear us say. Priya Nardes and kids must stay. 
the fact that the Liberals have won the election is a devastating blow, I think, to the refugee movement. And we're here to say that just because Scott Morrison has been re-elected, um, it doesn't mean we're going to stop fighting. There's no mandate for his racism, and we demand that Manus and Nauru be closed and refugees be welcome to Australia. So Priya and Nadesh, um, they're a Sri Lankan Tamil family. Um, they lost their High Court appeal to stay in Bilawila in Queensland, despite like the community support that they were getting from Queenslanders. Bill Shorten, prior to his loss in the election, did promise to reopen the case. So that gave us some modicum of hope for, for the family, but unfortunately, um, it seems like they might be deported back to Sri Lanka, but we're going to keep fighting regardless. My heart just bleeds for these people. They've left impossible conditions in their own countries. They're, most of them have already been assessed as genuine refugees, and they, they desperately need our help, and we're a wealthy country, and we're illegally locking them up in ghastly conditions, and it's just not okay. I'm really upset about it, and that's why I'm protesting. Do you have a message for Scott Morrison right now? We're here. We don't accept your aggression. We don't accept your racism, your violence, and we're not going anywhere. Scott Morrison is not someone who is going to be convinced to bring refugees here by nice words and logical arguments. This is a Prime Minister who gave himself a trophy that he displayed in his office for stopping boats. And we will what can I say? I hope he'll never, I know he will never use his conscience. He's not a man with a conscience. He's into punishment and I really, I have no time for the man. Do you have a message for the refugees who are being detained at the moment? I was just talking to, to, to Nauru tonight, um, to a guy on Nauru. Uh, the Nauruan government has pulled the pin on the Medivac bill. They made it a law about it's illegal. So it's, uh, uh, it's very scary for them. There are very few left there now and they're all suffering. And we have to stop the Liberal government and Labor too. They started this and we have to stand up as human beings to stop it. Uh, yeah, we care. Don't give up. Um, I know after this election result, a lot of you think that it's hopeless now, but I think... We are not going to stop fighting to free you, all of you, and f like all future refugees. At this point, we have to do whatever it, like, whatever it takes. I'm sorry that we um, let you down during the election, but we're not going to stop fighting. We're still here. We haven't forgotten you, and we're sorry. So they were the voices from the No Mandate for Refugee Racism rally that was uh, held at the State Library a couple of weeks ago now. And again, it's just really important, I feel, to keep the, those voices on radio and broadcasting them as rallies are happening um, so that we can get out there and really speak to the people who are being affected and who are trying to affect change. Mm. And, um, yeah, so keep community radio alive. And we've done a, a few regular live broadcasts, and some of my highlights when I've been here has been uh, the Occupy Melbourne. Yes. One was a special broadcast. Uh, we went to the S11 World Economic Forum as well. Um, and there, there were, you know, two of the, the, the special broadcasts that I was lucky enough to be included in, not be part of, because they couldn't travel, but yeah, it was fantastic. Yes, it is good. And I guess one of the 
treats for me has been uh, talking to Dennis, Dr. Dennis Muller regularly, and he's going to come on. He's going to talk to us now. Uh, Dennis, it's, welcome back. Uh, welcome thank you, back. Judith. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, thank you for making time again on a, a you know um, holiday, long weekend. Oh no, peace for the wicked, Judith. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Well, the news that the Australian Federal Police uh, raided the ABC last week and the home of News Corp journalist Annika Smetterst has everyone asking questions about um, press freedom in Australia. Uh, Dennis, you're a senior, re- I, should, I should introduce you properly here, you're a senior research fellow at the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne. You're an expert in media ethics and you're a regular commentator on the media. So I just wanted, and you've written the article that came out on Friday, Media Raids Raise Questions About the AFP's Power and Weak Protection for Journalists and Whistleblowers. So I'm going to start, Dennis, by reading the first sentence of your paper, which I think sums up what many people are feeling. In their raids on media organizations journalists and whistleblowers. The Australian Federal Police have shown themselves to be the tool of a secretive, ruthless and vindictive executive government. So, my first question is why secretive? Well, because firstly we inherited um, a culture of secrecy from the English public service when basically our system of government was established. We have nothing like uh, the openness that the United States uh, is used to and, in fact, embodies in its constitution. So there's a sort of a foundational cultural problem of secrecy in the public service, which has always been present. But since 9-11, there's been a tremendous boom in the increase in national security and secrecy laws all of them basically under this rubric of national security, even though they extend way beyond anything that might be to do with national security. There's, there's two classes of information in the official secrets uh, law, and the two classes are firstly inherently harmful information, which is all really all to do with identifying people in the intelligence services, and then this. Information likely to harm Australia's interests. Now, that can be anything. There's no requirement in the official secrets part of the Commonwealth Criminal Code, which is what we're talking about, no uh, requirement at all that that information um, should be to do with public safety or public health or any, uh, any other particular kind of information. It's just a complete blanket secrecy proposal and so what it does is give the Commonwealth Police, the Federal Police uh, the power to go after anyone who either leaks the stuff or worse still, publishes it. Yes. So it's then left to the Federal Police to decide what to do and they are extremely opaque in their decision making. They, uh, they say that it, it may well have to do with national security, but it can also involve, quote, other factors. Well, the evidence is that the, one of those other factors is what they think the government of the day wants them to do. Yes, you I mean, know, that is really, really frightening, actually. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's because it's, it's in this aspect of their work, the, the federal police have become a political police force. 
That's mm. what it and sounds it's like. Something that's shocking in Australia. Yes, I mean, I did notice that uh, we're here. We're here talking about um, uh, security laws that, that have been enacted on top of the 1914 Crimes Act, and I'm thinking 1914. That's when World War One started. And yeah. I, I mean, I may be drawing too long a connection here, but uh, you know, w- was the four, 1914 Crimes Act in relation to a war setting? Uh, well, I don't know. I wasn't even I wasn't here. Um, <laughs> but um, but it, it is uh, it, it, the Commonwealth Crimes Act, which originally contained these secrecy laws, was first enacted in 1914. It's been built upon ever since. And then last year, these um, particular secrecy laws were taken out of the Commonwealth uh, Crimes Act, and they were included in the. Commonwealth Criminal Code, which is kind of the same thing. It's just a yes. difference. But it's been um, beefed up, broadened out, and only at the insistence of the Labor Party last year was a public interest exemption or defence introduced into this. But the public interest defence is extremely weak and uncertain of application because, uh, firstly, it's then left to the courts to decide um, what's in the public interest. That's, that's always a questionable proposition because the courts are very inconsistent about this. Secondly, uh, in these days, uh, it's not at all clear uh, who could actually claim the defence because it's a defence for journalists. Well, who, these days, who's a journalist? Mm, yes. Decided on this. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's, it looks like a protection, but you wouldn't want to rely on it, really. No. And then you go on to also describe this as ruthless, these acts. Well, when you look at the sort of material that they've been trying to cover up, it includes um, accounts of psychological harm being done to asylum seeker children on Manus and Nauru. They had a raid on a on a psychiatrist's office after the psychiatrist had gone public about what he saw up there, the bugging of the East Timor Cabinet Office when Australia was trying to cheat the Timorese out of their fair share of the oil reserves in the Timor Sea, these alleged war crimes involving Australian soldiers in Afghanistan, and this proposal to allow the Australian Signals Directorate to spy on Australian citizens. That's the sort of thing that the public really ought to know. It shows what a ruthless uh, government we have and how they try to cover up their ruthlessness uh, by the use of the official secrets powers. Yes, and in your paper you also talk about the executive branch of government and uh, that the the AFP want to show that... um, that they're just towing the line, I guess. They're part of the team. When you yeah. talk about the executive branch of government, like which particular ministers are you talking about here? Well, it, uh, pretty obviously the Minister for Home Affairs, um, the Minister for Immigration, the Prime Minister, the people who have a direct responsibility uh, for these um, uh, matters involving um, the military, um, uh, immigration, uh, so I suppose you'd include in that the, the Defence Minister. The particular reference uh, that um, 
that the police were executing the other day against the ABC came from the Defence Department and the head of the Defence Forces. Right. So uh, it's, it's both the ministers, the executive government is both the ministers and the public service. It's the yes. combination of the two. Yeah, and the government at this stage, at least, is uh, denying any connection with the raid. And what do you say to that? Well, they may not have had a direct connection with the raid, but it's but they have look. It's like Rupert Murdoch sending signals to the editors. The federal police know what is wanted of them, and so uh, if the head of the defence force, Angus Campbell, or the Secretary of the Defence Department send a reference to the AFP, the AFP think, ah, well, this this is this is something that we know falls within uh, the government's requirements. And we know now that, in fact, a genuine leak to the Australian about national security, which was leaked by the government about the alleged impact of the Manus and Nauru Medivac laws passed last year, they were leaked to the Australian. They were leaked to the Australian because it suited the government's purposes to leak it. Um, the head of the uh, of ASIO, um, Duncan Lewis, said this was a shocking leak it wasn't referred to the, to the it was referred to the Commonwealth Police, but they decided not to do anything about it. So they're inconsistent. It, it's demonstrable that they make political decisions. Yes, indeed. I mean, the timing is also interesting. It, it kind of feels a bit like a, a government that's mad with power that they think they could get away with such a thing. Well, it, it, it is, and um, and also it, the timing just after the election, and also whilst. Uh, the Prime Minister and the Minister of Home Affairs were abroad, so it, uh, they had a kind of alibi. You know, it's, it's just the whole exercise just reeks of political interference in, in the police force and the police force's willingness to go along with it. Well, Dennis, we're going to have to wind up there, but I'm sure there's lots more to come on this issue. Thank you so much for uh, coming on to Monday Breakfast this morning. It's always a treat to speak with you, and thank you so much for that article. It's excellent. Thanks so much. Thanks, Dennis. Thank you. Thanks, Dean. And, um, yeah, there have been so, so many laws passed that sort of have eroded our civil liberties and impinged on our freedoms. And it looks like they're taking it to the next level, getting into the uh, what they call the journalist information warrants. Yeah, so uh, there will be lots more on that story, I'm sure. That was uh, Dr. Dennis Muller, and he's a senior research fellow at the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne. And a big thanks to him for coming on on a long weekend. Yeah. You're on 3CR. Yeah, you're Radical on 3CR. Radio. Radical Radio. And it's Radiothon Day. Call to donate now on 94198377. And you can donate online. It's actually quite simple on 3cr.org.au. On the right-hand side there, it's got a Donate Now button. And you can choose any of the fantastic shows that you listen to. Or you can just donate to the breakfast team. Yeah. So um, we've raised so far this morning $173, which means we've got 827 to go. But the money's coming in. It will be 817 with one other pledge. Michelle Gurry has pledged $10, which is great. Amazing. (laughs) 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 It is exciting. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Be be loud and proud. Um, You can actually um, get 
which as a kid I was always obsessed with. You know, people used to have denim jackets with patches, mm-hmm. and I always wanted to get patches, but I could never find the right ones. But you can actually get a 3CR Radical Radio patch that you can iron on or sew on. Oh, that's to right. one yeah, of your coats. Yeah, so they're yeah, $10 each. That in the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're fantastic. Yeah, they're really they cool. Good. Um, yeah. You know, going back to retro. Come into the office. Yeah, too. come in. That's another way to donate. $10 yes. for a patch, so come in. And, yeah, say hello to the team while you're here. Yeah. I've got a couple of pledges also oh, that have okay. just come in. Okay. Um, yeah. So, Jackie Golds and oh. John Golds. Oh, dollars oh. combined. Oh, Did you say God. 50 pounds? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I will not confirm or deny that they're a relation of mine. <laughs> okay. But all thank you, Jackie, the and thank you, John. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, that's 50 bucks in our pockets, which is great. Yeah. And the other thing that I um, noticed too is that we've got a, I think it's uh, 2040, so there's a out of the blue radiothon screening fundraiser at Nova on June the 20th. So that's um, fantastic. We're uh, looking forward to to that. Um, 2040 is the latest film by award winning director Damon Gamal, who did the Sugar film. Is that Kamal? Uh, and it shows us the possible future we could have if we take on board all the best practice options available now to change our planet, like following the example that some of those European countries like Denmark and Norway yes, are doing. I know we've example. had a fair bit of uh, yes. environment conversation over the last three weeks we and it just had. seems like those guys yeah. are doing such a great job that we're just yeah. like... Um, who do we have? Ken uh, Card, um, Patrick, Kim, uh, um, Kinnard? Fergus, Fergus, Fergus Kinnard talking yeah, to yeah. us about. You know. Yeah, we did, and we've even got, uh, I think, a little um, piece from the the finch, the black-throated finch up there somewhere. Which uh, you know, if you're wondering if that little bird that's uh, stopping <laughs> Adani <laughs> sounds like, we might play that later. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mentioned earlier. So um, the station uh, has been you know running f- for a long, long time, and we started started doing digital broadcasting in 2010. So we do uh, regular special broadcasts, and this is where I think your uh, people's donation and the power of um, your support. Uh, so shows like Beyond the Bars, which is an annual broadcast that's been running since 2001 by Indigenous prisoners from inside various men's prisons, Survival Days one, the Sustainable Living Festival, you know, Human Rights Day, um, International Women's Day. These are, are regular special broadcasts that we do. Um, and, you know, things like um, 3CR becoming the first radio station in Australia to appoint a paid women's officer, you know. So f- simple things like that that we have taken on board here at the radio station. Yeah. And I've, I've been lucky enough to um, have a look at another pledge of $20 from Way. Isabel Pippard uh, <laughs> called and said we're doing a fantastic job. Thank you very much, Isabel. Thank you. Just quickly, we've been lucky too, as I mentioned, I've been doing this, you know, the Preakness show for a while. Over the years, we've had the opportunity to speak to people like the Public Health Association, Eddie McAuliffe, who was the, the Vice President. He's no longer there. Um, Kelly Folden, who's Aboriginal Family Violence Prevention and Legal Services, Victoria, talking about their great video called Healthy Relationships, which was a short film launch. This was in 2017. And this year, you know, we've spoken to Greg Denham about the pill testing at music festivals, which is also an ongoing um, issue. We spoke to Jerome Small from the Victorian Socialists about the uh, old Ford factory in Campbellfield turning into a recycling 
waste disposal plant. Yeah. yeah. So we've, we've, we're getting there. We're covering a lot of radical yeah. issues. In we the are. Yeah. And we're going to now hear a story about Fanny Finch, who was a woman of color out on the gold fields. And uh, Casey Sinclair from Latrobe was doing her honors and now doing a PhD that about great, Fanny Finch. That was a great story. So here we are, just a little bit from that story. Oh, yeah. She, uh, she, she knew what she was doing. You know, she could read, which helped her get very, very far. The, the story of Fanny, which is um, yeah, and it gave story. us an insight into what historical research is like too, and the kinds of things that you look in, you you need to look into, and what yeah. you can find. Yeah. A woman of colour arrived on the gold fields with a wheelbarrow, in which held a bathtub. And another record suggests that a woman arrived with a wheelbarrow and a bathtub and started doing laundry for the diggers. But according to Augustus Yandel, she started in the grog line. So she was sly grogging from the moment that she arrived. But this was common. So many people were sly grogging at that time that it's not really of any really significance. So she comes to uh, Victoria, she, to Melbourne. She goes up to um, near Castle Maynard to the gold fields. She's doing laundry. Maybe she's sly grogging. Where does she go from there? She commences a boarding house and a restaurant, which she opens up, I suspect, a few doors down from where the Red Hill Hotel is in Tewton currently. There she runs a restaurant, a very successful restaurant, a very successful boarding house. The commissioners, the employees of the Port Phillip Mining Company are said to have frequented her restaurant. So she's very successful there. In 1854, she then moves to the newly established township of Castlemaine, which is only a few kilometres away from Forest Creek. The Argus describes her as the famous Mrs Fanny Finch. Why famous? She was highly conspicuous on the goldfields. She was a woman of colour. She was a woman of colour that had money. She was there from the beginning of the gold rush, so she most likely had gold nuggets thrown at her as a woman offering sly grog, offering food, offering boarding. She was a woman who was known to dress in bright blue silk with her hair adorned in artificial flowers. She was loud. She had a very general latitude in her conduct, is what one old pioneer said. So she was a woman that was unafraid of her visibility, and I like to imagine that she held her head very high when she walked around the streets of Castlemaine. And so for that reason, everyone knew who Fanny Finch was. Fanny Finch, what a great story. It is a great story, and you can check our podcast on that. Just go down uh, on the website, the podcast, and you'll see where we had Mrs. Fanny Finch, and I'm sure that Mrs., even though she was single, Mm. protected her from Mm. a lot of of trouble. And And that's what I love about Monday Breakfast especially, and um, at 3CR. We can explore all different types of stories like that. Yes, it's great. And and last weekend, um, last week, sorry, we spoke to... The Neighbours Against the Derriman Parking Strategy, which is an issue that's just come up. Um, yeah, you know, and we've been involved with the high school for Preston. But yeah. on the line now, I think we're about to have a special guest. We've got a to air, I think. Yeah. So uh, is, am I speaking to Tim Jones here? Yes, good morning, Tudor. Good morning. Good Thanks morning, for getting up early, and uh, you're, you're going to make it. First of all, I just need to let people know that you've come on to not only breakfast shows, but also, I think, in your face as well, talking about your research around gay conversion therapy over the last, uh, and you've come on over the last year. We've really appreciated that. Oh, thank you, Tudor. It's been my pleasure. Yeah. yeah, and what has 3CR meant to you apart from getting up early every month everyone is coming? <laughs> Oh, it's a beautiful community service, I reckon. Um, 
speaking uh, a, a different kind of news to, to the public, the, the news programs that I've been involved in. Um, I don't know, I think, I think it's a beautiful thing. Hmm. Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, so th- so thanks, Tim, and we're looking forward to you coming on again soon. I know you've had a pretty busy semester. <laughs> that's, that's true, but uh, semester's over now, so I've got a bit more time. Great. Well, we'll be taking advantage of that. Excellent. Yeah. And now you're going to be pledging to the breakfast show. Yep, absolutely. I'm pledging 50 bucks. Oh, oh my God. Wow. Fantastic. Thank you so much. <laughs> and all, all your coins coming through. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's 94198377, which is the number that Tim uh, called in on. And uh, Tim, don't don't uh, hang up when we finish talking. Please stay online. But anybody else can also call 94198377. Thank you for your pledge, Tim. And uh, we always look forward to having you in the studio as well. We might be able to buy a few more coffees for you while you <laughs> make a few more coffees for you while you're here. It's gotten quite expensive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Taken uh, well, we are coffee. in Melbourne, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. the international <laughs> roast. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we've got some more pledges as well, which is fantastic. So we've got Sam, Sam Rowe, who's pledged seven dollars, um, and which also shows that we don't need you don't need to pledge, you don't need fifty, you know. Like yeah. we're so yeah. gr- grateful for Tim's, and that's going to keep us going. Um, but yeah, any any amount is really amazing for us, our station. Yeah. So seven dollars from Sam Rowe. Thank you so much. And, yeah, thanks again, Tim. Um, yeah, just down the line. And, um and look, we've got some other pledges. This is fantastic, actually. I mean, we're, we need to make a 1,000, and uh, we're into around 700. We're, we're moving. Um, no, we haven't got 700, so we've got 700 to go, but the 300, that's fantastic. So Wilma Black has uh, oh. given, donated $20, Macy Adams, 20 Kate Myers, 27 That seven's a kind of magical number there. Beth Spicer, 10, Ellen Jones, 10, Edward Fricker, 20. So, what? Thank you so much, everyone. You're up. You're thank up on yeah, the public holiday and you're calling you're in. You're calling in, in you're in, texting in, and. And you're phoning yeah. in. And you're phoning in. Yeah. And if you want to phone in, that's 0488-809-855. Sorry, that's the text. And if you want to call, we've got Gab answering the phones, and that's on 9419 Nine four one nine eight three seven seven. We've got about we got about seven minutes left of the show, and we're gonna get the full thousand <laughs> before we leave. I'm look, completely confident. Look, we we need your help to uh, I guess place power back into the hands of the community by providing, as Tim said, a, a, um, a community service, you know, a platform for strong and diverse radical voices, as diverse as the three in this room. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been a it's been a great show. We, we've heard obviously this morning from um, uh, Bridget Arthur talking to us about the Bridgetine Asylum Seeker Project. Yes, um, we have. And, Den- and Dennis Muller again. They're just uh, wonderful making, you know, hearing his assessment, I guess, and and pretty insightful critique of what's been going on with the AFP federal police raids on journalists and the ABC. And John Garrick with his piece. Um, yes. We had a chat to him 
earlier on. Well, it was a pre-record. Yeah, <laughs> Agents of Foreign he, Influence. He made time, and he made time just before he was going away. So we really appreciate also, you know, the yeah. time that uh, the people that we speak with mm-hmm. give us. It's fantastic. And we also heard again from the Mandate for Refugee Racism rally, the voices who were out, who are actually out every Friday, um, campaigning and yeah, just following and being as active as they can which is which is great so we love to broadcast voices like that within the Mm. community in melbourne and that's ultimately why we're here 3cr community radio we will give the community voice um a chance yes and be broadcasted community voices have we got a bit of struggle on the CD? Yeah, yeah. let's say a bit of struggle. Struggle, the Black Rock Band. We love them. change make a change and that's what 3cr is all about radical radio call in and uh yeah please donate, donate. Yeah. um and the next show which is women in line which is after us and this is how you know powerful sh- uh a community radio is in, in july 2013 clemmy with from women in line um uh, had a you know was recognized by the eliminating violence against women media awards in the category of best radio news of current affairs and her piece, which used a well-known Hollywood incident to explore family violence and make it relevant. So, you know, our oh, presenters oh, and, and our hosts are doing fantastic things, and, and we need your support to keep shows yeah. like Women on the Line going. And yeah. Hope, also from um, yeah, Women on the Line, I think, as well, has been published in... Growing up, Africa in Australia. Mm, she mm. has. So yeah, hope is amazing. Yeah, actually. and she also has been on some of our breakfast, breakfast shows. shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but nine four one nine eight three seven seven to call before we're on five hundred. So far, we need five hundred more dollars yeah. um, to 
you know, reach our target. Um, and you can donate online at 3cr.org.au. Once you get into the website, it's uh, on the right-hand side, or you can do forward slash donate, or you can SMS your pledge on 0488809855. We know Isabel has just donated 20. We know that Anthony donated 20. And there's a host, Jackie and John, all the way from sunny Kent. Have said to <laughs> Essex. Essex. Let's Essex. Be clear. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I'm an Essex. Oh, we've got... No, no, Essex. That's important. But look, I, really, I just really want to thank all the people who got up early on a long weekend and called mm. in with their donations. So yeah, we're really halfway to our target. Yeah. That is fantastic. So thank you so so much to everybody. Yeah, thank you so much for everyone who's We're up Looking listening. forward to a special broadcast of Women on the Line, a Radiothon broadcast, and yeah. we will be back next, next week. Monday. We will. Thank you, everyone. 3CR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall. You can check them out at nibs.org.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419 8377.